0: So in our first session, we talked about the Christian leader's secret habit that godly leadership begins in secret, in private, in being fed by God himself through his word and his spirit, and in particular, the secret or the lost art of meditation, of slowing down and pausing, and chewing on it, and lingering in the biblical text, and seeking seeking to feel more of the text's significance as we meditate. So the first word to us, to you as spiritual leaders, was to be in, and to enjoy, and go deep in God's word for yourself, to cherish his word, to feed on it, and be nourished. And as you do, you will increasingly become the kind of people and become the kind of leaders who both want to and regularly find yourself feeding others, helping others. And so in this session, here I want to move from the secret habit now to sharing the secret. How do I feed others and model for others how to be fed for themselves in God's word? and to access his means of grace in their lives. To do this, I want to start with Hebrews 13, verses 7 and 8. I want to finish with six brief exhortations to you as leaders, but linger here first in Hebrews chapter 13. And As you go there, I'll tell you one of my favorite stories about Hebrews 13, 8. Some of you may know the name Carl Henry, who's the editor of Christianity Today middle of the 20th century, and in 1962, the famous German theologian, Karl Barth, took a lecture tour in the United States, and apparently it was a big lecture in Chicago, and there were media there, and it was open for a QA and a time, and Karl Henry came up and announced himself as from Christianity Today and began his question and he was really pressing on Carl Barth about the resurrection and the historical reality of the Christian faith. And I think Bart may got a little flustered. At some point, he interrupted and he said uh, to Carl Henry, "Did you say Christianity today or yesterday?" And maybe you know what Carl Henry said. I mean, Bible was in his veins, right? What else would he say? He didn't have to think about this. He said, "Yesterday, today." And forever. Hebrews 13, 8. I can hardly turn to Hebrews 13 without thinking about that great story. So look with me at Hebrews 13, verses 7 and 8. I'm going to have four observations from those verses. Remember your leaders. Those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So, four observations from Hebrews 13, 7 and 8 for you as spiritual leaders, as equippers in the body of Christ. Number one, spiritual leaders, meaning Christian leaders, are feeders. Spiritual leaders are feeders, meaning they feed others with God's word. They speak God's word to others. Verse 7, remember your leaders, comma, those who spoke to you the word of God. For the leaders of the Hebrews there's not a category of leader that didn't speak the Word of God. It's like, he doesn't say, remember your leaders, some of which spoke to you the Word of God, the others were really good at the finances. Or they had really, they were very savvy executives. He doesn't point to any typical leadership skills outside being Bible people in some way, shape, or form. Remember your leaders, comma, Namely, those who spoke to you the word of God. This doesn't just mean preaching. He's not saying, remember your leaders, because they all were preachers. That's a distinct thing. To be a leader, a Christian leader who speaks the word of God, doesn't mean you need a pulpit. There's all sorts of life for speaking the word of God, for speaking fitting words into relationships, into context, praying them. Not all spiritual leaders preach. You don't have to be a preacher to be a Christian leader. But to be a Christian leader, you do need to first enjoy God's word for yourself and then enjoy sharing God's word with others. Why is it that leaders in Christ are here in Hebrews 13 equated with? or assumed to be speakers of God's Word. The authority for Christian leaders comes from the Word, capital W, Jesus, the Word made flesh, and from the Word gospel, which is the main way the New Testament talks about Word. If you look at Word in the New Testament, it's typically referring to the Word preached, spoken, communicated in the gospel message and the word, the scriptures. So word, Jesus, the gospel, the scriptures is at the very heart of Christian leadership, of Christianity itself, and it is our source of authority. So leaders in the church and teachers in the church are largely overlapping circles. Leaders who lead well for a long time in the church will be men and women who have been shaped by God's word and are eager to, quote, paraphrase, communicate, apply. As scripture-saturated people, they want to minister out of and lead from God's word. And those who are good teachers in the church, over time, are typically the ones who become pastor, elders, leaders in the church. These are largely overlapping spheres in the New Testament and largely in most of our experiences. This is the nature of the Christian faith. We are a people of the book. Our leaders are men of the book, women of the book, who teach the book, know the book, lead from the book, love the book contagiously. Remember that strange story in John chapter 21 where Jesus meets Peter after the resurrection? Meets the disciples. They're fishing. The guy from the shore yells out to try the other side of the boat after they have fished without fish all night. The nets are breaking. Peter realizes Jesus, not even thinking really, throws his robe on and jumps into the water, comes to the shore. There's the conversation with Peter. he has denied Jesus three times, and three times Jesus comes back, Simon, do you love me? Simon, do you love me? Simon, do you love me? And each time when Peter says, yes, Lord, yes, you know I do, Jesus comes back with, feed my sheep. Tend to my lambs. Feed my sheep. This is, this is the heart of the mantle That Jesus is leaving to his men and leaving to his church as he goes. The sheep are to be fed. Other things are to be done with the sheep too. We care for the sheep. Sheep need to be fed. (laughs) The, the, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me beside still waters into green pastures. This is so important that the shepherds, the leaders, provide still waters and green pastures that the leaders feed. And feeding is not just preaching. Preaching is one form of it, just one form of it, a very important form of it. And there are many kinds of spiritual feeding that Christians do, all Christians in some measure, and especially those who lead in the church. Some examples. Sharing fresh insights in conversation. When when you linger over the Word of God, remember we talked about how memory and meditation go together, as you exercise that secret habit of lingering over God's word, meditating on God's word, you might remember it for later in the day and be able to share that in conversation with someone over lunch. Put it into a prayer as you meet with somebody. At some point in conversation, if you have been enjoying God through his word in some small way, you're going to find yourself wanting to share that at some point. And this is, this is the kind of feeding that spiritual leaders do. Having fed on God's word, they want to feed others in conversation. In leading a small group or a Sunday school class, you, you might start with a, a short devotional word, a fresh word that would start off the class on the right tone, in a Godward way, the way that you pray to lead the class. Bringing God's word to bear, making it present in that group. that it, It's not just a social club. We're gathering as Christians, and so whether it's a home group or over a lunch or in a Sunday school class, wherever it is, that Christian leaders love to find ways to make the gathering Christian, and not in some awkward way where they launch into a 20-minute sermonette or quote an obscure passage, but in the conversation, making it natural, bringing to bear an insight, perspective, Truth, sweetness, beauty, grace from God's word. And Christians love that. Christian people want to be fed like that. We love Jesus. And when somebody says a word about Jesus that commends him and commends God's goodness, we love that. We want to be led by that. 1 Timothy 4.15, Paul says to his protege, Timothy, Practice these things. And he's talking about verse 13. He said, public reading of scripture, exhortation, and teaching. So he's talking about reading God's word, hearing it, explaining it, exhorting the people with it, teaching God's word. It's a very word-centered paradigm here. And he says, practice these things. Immerse yourself in them. It literally is just be in them. Be in them so that all may see your progress. This is what we want in Christian leaders, men and women who immerse themselves in God's glory, in his word, in Christian books like we're being commended here by Jonathan and the ten of those, that we would uh, be filled by God and others would see our progress as we continue to grow, and they then would be led in their progress by seeing that in spiritual leaders. Now when I say, in Hebrews says here, Speaking the word of God. I don't think that that means just quoting it. It might mean quoting it in certain circumstances. At the hospital bed. After some tragedy. To quote Psalm 46. Our God is a refuge and strength. A very present help in times of trouble. To quote passages can be beautiful. Strengthening hope-giving, helpful to Christians in certain contexts. But I don't think he's saying only here that they spoke the word of God in terms of quoting Old Testament or New Testament, but that they brought the right texts and truths to bear on the situation at hand. Bible-saturated people in a particular context bringing to bear God's truth, grace, grace, the gospel, the person of Christ in a way that fits those circumstances and brings God near, Jesus near, by commending him and bringing him to mind in our word. This is a challenge that we face as leaders to authentically speak the word of God in such a way that we are near and that we're with our people and not distanced and disconnected from them in the very way that we try to do it. It can be beautiful to quote scripture at the right time and less helpful, if not naive, at other times. Now, Ephesians 4.29, I think, talks in the kind of categories that I'm trying to get at here with bringing God's word to bear in particular circumstances. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. That's a negative. Don't do that. Now, what's the positive? Here's the positive. But, this is what's coming out of your mouth, right? Only such as is good for building up. So he's he's not saying, well, don't let let your talk be dirty, just let it be clean. He says, no, no corrupting talk on the one hand, and positively talk that is good for building up. As fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. So it's not just clean talk. It's godly talk. It it builds up spiritually. It's the kind of talk that is grace to people to bring truth to bear in their circumstance. So our calling as leaders is to be vigilant to press the truths of Scripture into our own lives in the present, and then into real-life situations for our people with as much explicitness as possible that doesn't obscure our engagement with the details of life at hand. So number one, spiritual leaders are feeders. We feed our own souls on God's Word, and then we seek to let it come out. We want to have food to share as often as possible, whatever the context. Number two, then, our way of life accompanies our words our way of life accompanies our words that's the second half of verse 7 consider by the way that's a meditation word right (laughs) consider is don't just go on to the next thing pause consider ponder consider consider the outcome of their way of life so in other words the way of life of the leader Really matters. Not just the leader's words. For Christian leaders, words are very important. We are a, it's a word faith. We're a people of the book. Words really matter. And way of life really matters. Words and way of life both matter. A couple texts where you see this where the, the leader's life and example and their words and teaching both are together and important. Acts 20, 28. This is Paul to the Ephesian elders. Pay careful attention to yourselves, leaders. Pay attention to yourselves, leaders, way of life, and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. 1 Timothy 4:16, just a couple of verses later from what we just saw, or one later. 1 Timothy 4:16. Keep a close watch on yourself, Timothy, leaders, and on the teaching. Persist in this. For by doing so, you will save both yourselves and your hearers. What you say is so important in representing Jesus, who is the Word. We're Word people. Our Word is so important. And the way of life backs it up, accompanies it, gives the, the words give meaning to the way, and the way gives confirmation and authenticity, validates the words. There is also something we're thinking about here with our Christian example, and a a category called the tacit dimension of knowledge. Might be a new category for some of you. Maybe some have read philosopher of science, Michael Pogliani, and he talks about the the tacit dimension. I'll try to to put that on the lower shelf and explain what he means by the tacit dimension. Of knowledge. Recently, a pastor I'm aware of in Kansas City wrote about this in a book called The Flourishing Pastor. He highlights there the importance of this category of tacit knowledge for leaders in Christian ministry. He says, Tacit knowledge is the kind of knowing that is difficult to capture in propositional terms or categories, but that emerges in the context of a close relationship and in the imitation of another this close relationship part is so important, especially at a large church. The Sunday school classes, the small groups, these smaller groups of getting together where so much Christian life happens, where there is the proximity, the nearness of a relationship. That is a very important dimension of human relationships and learning and the Christian faith and learning to have leadership incarnate, substantiated, seeable, knowable, real-life situations, because there are some truths that are better captured in viewing them, seeing them, imitating them, learning them tacitly, rather than in proposition. Here's a quote from Michael Pogliani. He says, By watching the master and emulating his efforts in the presence of his example, the apprentice unconsciously picks up the rules of the art including those which are not explicitly known to the master himself." This is one reason why it's so important for Christian leaders to be examples, lived out examples of the gospel and of the Christian faith. Uh, One one thing we want to do, Christian leaders, maybe maybe you've looked at the the pastor-elder qualifications in 1 Timothy 3, and you've read through those and thought, okay, so not a drunkard, uh, not greedy for dishonest gain, uh, sober-minded, let's hope so, you know, not a fighter, not a brawler. You go through those lists of qualifications, and like, we, there's nothing in there about a PhD. There's nothing in there about having a world-class intellect or public communication skills. This stuff looks like exemplary Christianity, and that's what it is. We want leaders, when we put a title on someone in the church, when we say, this man is a pastor, or this brother or sister is a deacon, or whatever the title would be, when we give a title in the church, we want to be able to say, be like this leader, and not need to immediately give a qualification. That's what we're looking for. Examples for the flock, that are among the flock, to show what Christianity is like in real life circumstances and contexts. So, 1 Peter 5 2, Peter talking to the elders says, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, which is such good news. Just pause on that quickly. God is a willing, happy, eager God, not dutiful. And he wants his leaders to be willing, happy, eager, glad. We sang earlier when we sang, How Great Thou Art, that on that cross, my burden gladly bearing. Jesus didn't grit his teeth and say, I don't really want to do this, but this is my duty. He bore that gladly for us. He communicates love not only in his willingness to take the cross, but that he takes the cross gladly communicates love. And Christian leaders, when we lead from a heart that is willing and eager and glad, we communicate love to those who follow and are served and glory to our God that we are happy to serve him. So, Christian leaders, willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. And then he says, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. That exemplary function, being an example to the flock is so important in Christian leadership. Pairing with our words are observable ways of life. Number three then. We want them to imitate our heart, not all our personal habits. We want them to imitate our heart, the essence, the focus, not all our personal habits, idiosyncrasies, personal hobby horses. Last part of verse 7, imitate their faith. So he says, consider the outcome of their way of life. Like, consider their way of life, how they lived, what they did, their peculiarities, their manifestations, their applications. Consider the outcome of the way of, of their way of life. And imitate, he doesn't say, way of life. He says, imitate their faith. He doesn't even say, imitate them. At least not here, imitate their faith. The means of God's grace, his word, prayer, fellowship, as Josh summarized so well word, fellowship, prayer, hearing God's voice in his word, having his ear in prayer, belonging to his body in the fellowship of the local church, those do not change. The means of grace do not change. But our various habits, do change from season to season, from person to person, from generation to generation. The situations and circumstances will change, though it is easy to overanticipate that. You can overdo that contextualizing impulse. The expressions of love required will vary, but imitate their faith, their faith. Why? That's where verse 8 comes in. I think think that's why verse 8 follows 7. What's the relationship between verse 7 and verse 8? Does he just put the pen down at the end of 7 and say, think of a tweet. This one will be quotable. There's a logical relationship. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Not them, not their applications, not all their personal ways to do it. Imitate their faith. Why? Because Jesus Christ, the object of their faith, is the same yesterday and today and forever. Imitate this about your leaders. They followed Jesus. They leaned on him, trusted him, looked to him, staked their everything on him. This Jesus is eternally reliable from one generation to the next, to the next, to the next. He is the same yesterday for our leaders before us, and for today for us, and forever generations to come after us. Note here that that leaders is plural in this verse. Remember your leaders. Plural. And everywhere else in the New Testament that talks about local church leaders, it's always plural. Every time. Always plural. Jesus gets the singular glory of being the lone person in his office called Messiah. There's one Messiah. There is one head of the church, one Lord over the church and over all the universe. He is the one Lord. He gets that singular glory. And in his churches, he appoints pluralities of leaders. It's so sweet to be in the room with so many here deemed to be leaders at this church. In our leading, it's so important to remember the context of our leading, that we are not the lone leader, nor should we be the lone leader in someone's life. Over that lunch table, in the small group, somebody that we're following up with in the Sunday school class or afterwards. Neighbors, friends in the context of this church, those who you're leading. We want to influence them well. We want to bless them. We want to speak the word in their life. Live out the faith for them to see. And thank God we're not the only leader, Hope, let's hope, in their life. And it's a very good sign to have a room full of leaders like this. We don't want to be the only influence in their lives. We are not their Messiah. And so point three, in essence, is as we aim to equip others to access God's ongoing grace through his means, let's not expect them to flesh it all out exactly how we do in all our particular habits. Number four, then. Spiritual leaders lead from joy for their people's joy. This now is about how we lead, how we influence. Christian leadership is not like being king or general. No sword. The general has a sword or a gun or an army with him. You don't obey the general, he'll make you. The king. And being a Christian leader is not like being a parent in this sense. There's no rod. Parent has the rod of discipline. Being a Christian leader is far more like being a husband. Husbands, what do you have? Not guns, not rods. Words, to win, to persuade, to influence, ears, to listen, so that the words are informed and not naive. Husbands need to persuade, convince, win. We have this word, woo. That's what Christian leaders are called to do, woo, win, influence. We don't force. We don't have rods. Some works, some words can be like sticks. There can be words of warning. Sticks, if you think about the the donkey with the carrot on the front and the stick in the back, hitting him in the back, carrot out front. There can be words that are like sticks. But good Christian leaders use stick-like words very sparingly. And good Christian leaders love to use carrots. We love to feed from the front. We love to motivate with joy. We want to be contagious in our own joy that our people want to be happy like we're happy. We don't want to beat them in to attend to the next thing, doing this, doing these habits, going to check in on you. We don't want it to have the flavor sticks. Christian leadership, whether it's pastors or whether other leaders in the context of the church, we want the flavor of carrots, feed carrots. Hebrews 13, 17, run your eyes down a few more verses. Obey your leaders, church, and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy. Not with groaning. Because that would be of no advantage to you. So two things here. First, there is immediately an appeal to the church. Church, don't make it hard on your leaders. It's not good for you if your leaders are groaning. I mean, just just do that one-step thought experiment. Groaning leaders, that's not going to be enjoyable. And there's a word here to the leaders. In other words, leaders... The New Testament vision of leadership is one of joy, of gladly spending and being spent, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, for the good of others, gladly bearing the sacrifices, gladly taking on more burden, more responsibility to bless those who are in our care, doing it with joy, not with groaning, which is an advantage to those that we lead and serve. The healthiest dynamic in churches, and small groups, in Sunday school classes, is leaders who don't presume obedience, but seek to persuade from the heart, and followers who aren't just willing but eager to be led and be persuaded by their leaders. Good Christian leaders lean toward their people and seek to win their hearts with words backed up by their ways and ways given meaning with words. And the people want to be led and give benefit of the doubt to such leaders who are manifestly concerned for their joy and pursuing it with joy. So let me close with six brief exhortations to make some of this direct, applicable as leaders in our various contexts at Taylor's. Number one, be in and enjoy God's word for yourself. That was our first session. Just a reminder here, number one. Number two, lead explicitly from God's word and from biblical insights. As we remember content from our meditation, share fresh insights in conversation. Headline gatherings with fresh words from God's word regularly quote texts like Jesus. Did you read the Gospels, do you know how often he says, it is written, it is written. Do you not know it is written? It is written, it is written, it is written. The Son of God himself quoting Scripture over and over again. Number three, open the Bible together and feed together. This can be in the context of a small group, in a Sunday school class, one-on-one. Delight together. Show them that God's word is accessible and understandable and enjoyable. Ask questions together of the text. Encourage them. As you read that text, what strikes you as odd? What's strange? What questions should we ask? Asking good questions sets up posing good answers and then work toward answers together. I was recently looking at a commentary on the book of Acts for something else I was working on, and I came across this quote, dear brother from Sri Lanka named Ajit Fernando. He got a good commentary in the book of Acts. And uh, I thought, oh, this is, this is so good. The brothers and sisters at Taylor's. He comments there. He's writing on Acts 17 in the Bereans. He says, this is an age when people are so used to receiving pre-digested material from television that they find going to the scriptures to do inductive Bible study to be something strange. There is an urgent need, Let's, let's hear this for us. There is an urgent need then to lead our people to discover the joy of discovery in Bible study. And it is indeed a great joy to discover God's truth through personal study of the word. We need a new generation of Christian leaders who will first of all set apart time to do this for themselves, and then they will communicate their enthusiasm for Bible study to those they lead. So if hearing God's voice and having his ear and belonging to his body is a fair summary of the Christian means of grace, then I hope It's clarifying for us as leaders how to lead in the church, in the fellowship. Namely, make God's word and prayer explicit and active. I know it's the obvious thing, but sometimes we presume the obvious things. And in our fellowships, in our small get-togethers, we can just presume, oh, Christian brother, he's He's doing his own Bible thing, doing my own Bible thing, prayer thing. Christian leaders love to lead God's people in making the word and prayer explicit together. So now we're finishing with fellowship. Number four. Actually, prayer first, number four. Lead in prayer as a response to God's voice. Maybe you've never heard this. Maybe this was just a thing when I was at Furman 20 years ago. Uh, We'd gather for prayer, and somebody would say, well, who wants to dial up? Have you ever heard some people say dial up is like starting off prayer time? I I know what they're meaning. Like, Who wants to go first? Who wants to start it off? I think that misunderstands something of the nature of prayer to presume that we start it. We don't just dial up. Prayer is always a response, however conscious or unconscious, to God's revelation of himself in our world, in his word. And so the best way to lead off a time of prayer is to lead with a verse, lead with a reminder of who God is. Have the first prayer, perhaps, lead with adoring God in the categories and on the basis of his word. And the best way to learn to pray, we want to communicate this to those that we lead, the best way to learn to pray for yourself is to pray for yourself and to listen to others pray. It's going to be so valuable over a lunch, in a Sunday school class, in a small group to have a time of prayer for the younger believers to hear others pray. So important to hear older, more mature Christians pray aloud. How do they approach God? And multiple voices to pray in those contexts. As a leader, be eager to pray aloud. And over time, people will hear, let's hope, that, they are, that we are more shaped by the Psalms than by social media. And by the New Testament, rather than television. And by the word of Christ, rather than the world. Which is dearly needed, as you know. Number five, encourage freedom and flexibility as realistic in personal habits. Clarity about the means of grace. I'm using the terms means of grace and habits of grace distinctly. By means of grace, I'm talking about God's timeless channels of his ongoing favor, supplying power to the Christian life through his word, through prayer, through fellowship. And by habits, I'm talking about how those things get particularized in our approach to the means, in our own lives, whether we're choosing the morning and how we're going about our Bible reading plan and what kind of prayer rhythms in our life. Now, as we get to fellowship, one-on-one relationships are more related to personal habits, but our fellowship all together in the life of the church, that's a corporate habit. You don't just develop your own personal habit and say, well, I'm going to do the 3.30 service on Sunday. No, there's not a 3.30 service on Sunday. Like, there's, a, there's a corporate habit. You're either doing 9 o'clock or you're doing 10.30. Is that right? 9 o'clock, 10.30, okay. So we do corporate habits together. Now, this church is not wrong if it picks 10.30. That's a corporate habit. This church does other churches may have other times. But to be part of a fellowship is to link arms with certain habits, especially related to fellowship. But there is freedom and flexibility in our own cultivation of habits, in, in coming at God's means of grace in his word and prayer and various aspects of fellowship. And as leaders, we want to encourage that in our people. You know the story of Saul's armor, right? David's going to fight Goliath. Well, if you're going to fight Goliath, you're going to need the king's armor. And uh, Saul was a pretty tall man. And David at that point was pretty young. Now, to clarify a misconception about David, he turned out to be expert in war. Don't think that David always stayed small. But at some point he was young. He was small in the face of Goliath. He was small at that point. He was small compared to Saul's armor. And Saul's armor was not going to fit for him. That worked for Saul, but he was a coward and he wasn't going out there. But it didn't work for David. And that was okay. You know what? The slingshot and stones turned out to work for David. It got the job done. And it's good for us as leaders to have that mentality, to not expect that our particular ways of doing things is exactly how it should be fleshed out in our disciples. Rather, we want the heart, we want the faith. We want the eyes looking to Jesus and cultivating personal habits around God's timeless means of grace. So we encourage freedom and flexibility. And finally, we win them to fellowship with carrots. We use sticks, word sticks, sparingly. We want to make fellowship compelling with God's word, not with gimmicks. Cast the Christian life in the sphere of grace as an opportunity for gain, not obligation. If your main framework for yourself or for others is obligation, obligation. You're going to be there Sunday, you're going to be there Wednesday, you're doing this, you're doing that, you're memorizing this, you're praying for that. It's obligation after obligation. That's a very different flavor than New Testament leadership, which is From joy, from joy, for your gain, for your opportunity. Why would you not? Why would you not be here? Why would you not access this grace? Why would you not posture yourself in the path of allurement? Why would you run in the wilderness when God has told you that Jesus will be passing this way? And if he passes along this route, he will see your blind. He may heal you. God's revealed his path of grace. Why would we not take the opportunity to, access them. The Christian life is not mainly about holding on to something and not losing it. The Christian life is about opportunity to gain. Gain. More of God. See more of His goodness. Know more joy. It's a faith of gain. And we want that to pervade our leadership. And win them. In particular, fellowship obligations can be difficult circumstances because they can't just pick their own time. Our group's meeting at this time, this place. However, as we rally folks to our groups, we want to win them again and again with carrots, with gain, with opportunity. As we close here, a final word on fellowship. As you may know, as you may feel, I'm sure that different areas, different parts of the country feel this differently uh, in terms of how distinct a kind of post-COVID season is from the early season of lockdowns and quarantines. But there is fresh importance in our times on fellowship in this post-COVID season when social muscles have atrophied for some of our people. Fellowship itself. Is not the catalyst. For fellowship. So if we want to have a Christian gathering. We don't just say. The purpose is fellowship. Fellowships. Gather to do something. They have a, they have a goal. They have a mission. I just just finished reading my boys. They're 11. Uh. The Fellowship of the Ring. And the Fellowship of the Ring, they don't just gather to be buddies. Let's have a good time, have some pizza, pop, watch a game. Uh, The Fellowship gathers because the world is at stake. Everything's at stake. That's what's true with the Christian faith. Jesus is sovereign over the nations. We are not playing a game at the periphery. It is all at stake of what Jesus is reigning over and doing and empowering. And he will win. The end is not at stake. He knows he's going to win. But our lives matter. The fellowship matters. We're joining hands in something around the king who has spoken in his word. And it matters. Praying to Him together matters. We have a glorious mission to call our people to in fellowship, a shared mission, understanding His Word better, supporting each other in Christian health and growth, evangelism, mission. It's good to rally our people with specific causes, not just coming together to know each other. And in doing so, we are aware of simply adopting the world's paradigm for leadership. The paradigm that says, if you organize it well, if people come and have a good time, if they feel good about themselves, if they feel comfortable, they'll want to come back. That is so pervasive. It is a temptation in leadership in the church if we don't think intentionally about it. And so Christian leadership means leading God's people in God's word, and in Christian prayer together. Let me pray for us. So Father in heaven, we thank you that the end is secure in Christ. We thank you that you have spoken to us. We know your mind as much as you want us to know your mind, in your word, by the help of your spirit. And you give us your ear in prayer. And so I join with these brothers and sisters in this room, as those who care for the lives of others, that pay attention to the details of others' lives, that know others' lives in the church, over meals, over coffee, in Sunday school, in small groups, whatever the context. Father, would you give your grace in helping us to be Christian leaders. We want to be men and women who bring your word to bear in the circumstances of our life, to help others, strengthen their soul, give them grace, model for them the kind of Christian life that you would have us to live, and accessing your word, and being men and women of prayer, and being men and women committed to each other in the life of the local church. Give us your grace for this great calling. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. guys um we are closing out tonight but it has been good um i hope you have been encouraged i i have thoroughly been nourished i mean really um like water to my soul (laughs) i mean i'm not just rejoicing in what your words that you shared with us tonight so i'm just thankful i pray that you were encouraged um thankful david for being with us guys there are a lot of people who went